Well, it is good to be here uh, with you uh, this morning. It's always a highlight for me to come and worship with you. Um, again, we are coming to the end of our fall series, um, Gospel Fluency, which is uh, learning how to speak um, Jesus into the everyday stuff of life. Uh, and if you've missed it, for all of you who are uh, quizzers and uh, not from here, and you've missed everything up until this point, uh, you can get it through our podcast, uh, you can go to our website, or uh, even f- find it through iTunes, and you can binge watch the whole thing. You know, how many of you, um, you know, just before you're about to head to bed, you got to look at your watch and you think it's getting late, only one more season of Netflix, and then we'll go to sleep. Um, I'm not, the only, I'm not the only one. Okay, um, binge watch the whole thing. You can't actually watch it, but you can listen in and you can kind of catch the, the big themes that have gone uh, through this church in the last several weeks. Uh, it's been exciting. But if you've missed it, let me just catch you up a little bit. Um, again, fluency happens in language. Um, when we get to the point where we're fluent, we don't have to think very hard about um, speaking the language. And that's what we want to have happen with the gospel, that we know it so well that it just flows naturally. Now, incredible musicians, they have the ability to improvise. But improvising isn't just pulling notes and ideas out of thin air. Uh, Rather, great musicians have developed huge amounts of vocabulary on their instrument or their voice. They've practiced scales and chords, phrases and rhythms. When they improvise, they draw on that lexicon and apply it um, to a certain musical moment, a certain chord, a certain cadence, and it suits that moment. Um, They put a certain run of notes over a cadence, and we call it improvisation. There wasn't a plan in improvisation, but they were prepared. Becoming gospel fluent is about preparation. Soak in the gospel Know what it is, each part, each each nuance, and how it applies to you, and how it applies to the people around you. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Steve um, used this phrase. He talked about, Jesus is the better. Uh, And again, if you missed that, catch it on the podcast, but here's a little bit about what that is. Um, Jesus is the better. Um, Think about any relationship that you could possibly have, any role that somebody perhaps has over you as an authority, perhaps a boss. Jesus is the better boss. And actually, as Christians, we're told in the scripture that we are actually allowed to work underneath an earthly person, a boss. And even whether they're a good boss or a bad boss, we can do our way in a way, a work in a way that honors God. And he can be our boss. He's the better boss. He's also the better Brother, if any of you know, many of you might know the story of the prodigal son. It's a story uh, about actually two brothers, and both of them are in some point in the story lost. And at the end of the story, it ends with the father pleading with the older son to come in and join him at the, uh, the party. And uh, this older brother was not willing at all to go and um, reach out to his brother, who had kind of abandoned the family, but then had returned. But in fact, Jesus is the better brother because he didn't, you know, just live it up while the younger brother was off. In fact, he left heaven, he left the Father, and he came to us, and he, you know, found us in the, uh, with the pigs, you know, in the story of the prodigal. That's the idea. Jesus is the better. Now, we must understand this on a personal um, level. 
um, that the things that we oftentimes look to to save us can't, but that Jesus can. Uh, We must understand this as we read through scripture, so that as we look at different parts of the Bible, different stories, that kind of thing, we're able to understand how Jesus is better than many of the characters that we read about. Um, Some people, some prophets or heroes of the faith are heroes to this point, but then again, they are flawed and broken, but Jesus, again, fulfills many of those things, and he is the better. So remember, Jesus is the better. We gotta understand that on a personal level, as we read scripture, but we must also understand how that fits into the lives of other people that we are bumping into in life. We need to understand in every situation how Jesus is the better and how he's better for everyone. Uh, We also talked about um, ways of having conversations in this way, um, about listening for people's longings, because people are longing for the better. And if we listen to the longings that people have in their hearts, maybe they're talking about how they wish they had a better job, how they wish they could find the love of their life, how they wish they had a home, how they wish they had a a better boss, all of those kind of things. As we listen to people, we will hear them talk about their inner deep longings, longing for the better. And as Christians, we know that Jesus is the better. And so we need to give them um, Jesus as we hear their longings, and, and listening takes time. That's the one other thing um, that I'll maybe mention there. Again, this is all kind of a recap of kind of where we've been in the series. One other thing, again, critical to mention, we must also listen to the Holy Spirit as we are sharing with people about Jesus, as we are trying to highlight how he is the better. Remember, rely on the Holy Spirit. Listen to the uh, leading of the Holy Spirit be- because the major job of the Holy Spirit is to highlight for us and for other people how Jesus is the better. He is constantly giving, giving glory to Jesus and honor to Jesus, highlighting Jesus. So listen to the Spirit and then you'll be able to show how Jesus fulfills people's deep longings. Uh, and last week we just went through uh, John Chapter four, again, all you quizzers, you're going through John, so you would know this very well. We went through John chapter four, the account of Jesus speaking with the woman at the well. So again, listen to the podcast. There's lots of great teaching there. This week, though, we're jumping into uh, the next part of gospel fluency. And this is, again, talking about the gospel going to others uh, and how we can play our part in that. Now, how many of you have heard this phrase before? Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. How many of you have heard something like that before? How many like it? How many don't? This is a loaded question. Okay. Uh, This is often attributed to Francis of Assisi, a kind of a a famous Christian from a while ago. Um, But he never said this. There's no way, no record you can actually find that it's attributed to him. In fact, it goes against his teaching and ultimately, I think, against the teaching of the Bible. I think if you look at some of his teaching, he would say that this is actually, and the Bible would, would say this as well, that our actions should be in alignment with our words, our words in alignment with our actions. They have to go together. Because if you were to really complete this sentence that you've heard, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words, and words are always necessary. Right, and then it becomes kind of a silly sentence to say. Um, we're gonna look uh, at a number of scripture passages this morning, but we're gonna start out in Romans. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. That should kind of show up here behind me. How then can they call on the one they have uh, not believed in? 
And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We're going to use this verse as a bit of an outline as we kind of continue this morning. So here's a few things again just to notice. For someone to believe, there has to be someone who goes. They are sent, they show up, they are present. And how we're going to talk about it this morning, they are on display. Second, the person has to preach. Third, uh, the person has to hear in order to believe. Number four, when these things happen, it's beautiful. Okay, let's talk about display people. We talked about that a little bit last week, uh, and it started to make me nervous, and maybe it made some of you nervous. Um, Here's a line that kind of comes out of uh, Gospel Fluency, the handbook that some of you have been kind of going through. When we live our lives intentionally as display people, we get plenty of opportunities to talk about why we do what we do. Lives full of grace and love, schedules rearranged to make space to listen and serve, budgets adjusted to feed and care for people, or words spoken to protect and build up all demand explanations. The key is to give Jesus as the answer. There must be preaching. Uh, Perhaps in our modern world, more than ever in history, people are on display. How many cameras do you think there are in this room right now? Is it a one-to-one ratio? Two-to-one. Two-to-one, yeah. (laughs) Every phone is two cameras. You're right. Okay, the math in the next part of my sermon is going to be off, I think. Um... (laughs) I know some of you are still trying to wait this whole smartphone thing and this fad to kind of blow over, that or you're hoping to die before you have to learn how to use one, but most of us, most of us have uh, a smartphone with a few cameras on it at least, two, three, who knows how many there are. Um, but if anything is happening that, you know, if if uh, a Martian was changing the tires on his UFO, um, we would all be able to capture it because we all have our phones with us and we've got cameras. Uh, how many of you are on uh, some kind of social media, an account, like a Facebook? Does anyone remember that one? How many of you are connected to that thing? Or Instagram? How many of you are on two different types, two platforms? You got to, what about three, and they got like Instagram, and you've got a Facebook, and you got your MySpace, and your LinkedIn. Um, is anybody still using their MySpace? Um, again, and you've, how many of you um, post something through those sites? How many of you post um, once a week? You enter something, snap a photo, and load it up there. Okay, your hands are only going up this much now. You're getting a little bit nervous here. So, um, about two years ago, I, I shut down all of my social accounts. Um, I was doing some self-reflection, and they weren't getting much use, and I was starting to feel bad because people would, you know, write me a message, and it would be like, hey, and then six months later, I'd be like, hey, and then they'd be like, how's it going? And then again, six months later, it would be like, 
not much, you. And it was this very long conversation. Or I also experienced this when Facebook first kind of came out. Um, everyone is signing up for as many friends and people that they can think of. And then I remember being, this was, I was living in another province, and I remember coming home and being uh, here in uh, one of the parks and seeing somebody that I went to high school with that I was now friends with, uh, even though we weren't friends when we were in high school, we were now friends on Facebook, and we were near each other in the park, and we didn't even say hello to one another, and I thought, I don't know if this is really working. Anyways, um, the other thing in my, my self-reflection is I realized, um, uh, kind of by nature, I'm an introvert and largely antisocial, and when you're antisocial, you don't need a network for that. <laughs> and so, so I kind of discontinued all of those um, accounts. So I haven't, I haven't posted anything uh, for quite a while. But a lot of people are out there posting. They're putting all of their things out there on display, whether it's their lunch or their dessert or their friends or what's going on or their political views or their views about who knows what, everyone's posting and saying um, a lot of things. Now, um, my wife on the other hand, uh, she loves the idea of traveling, uh, she likes uh, meeting new people and having vibrant experiences and adventures, you know, all over the globe is kind of what she imagines. And I want a nice lawn, you know, I wanna, <laughs> I wanna have a cup of coffee uh, on my deck, preferably alone, um, and anyways, when you think about what's on display through, you know, reality TV and other things, social networks, we can have eyes and we can look into people's lives, even from a very far distance, we can get right up close and look. Is that the kind of display that we're talking about when we talk about being a display person? I don't think so, not quite. Um, in fact, I think being a display person for the kingdom of God uh, is even possible for an antisocial introvert like myself. Um, being sent, again, looking back at Romans, the idea of being sent, it's not about acquiring a platform, fame or celebrity or a huge online following, but understanding that you are the platform, your current network, your current life circumstances are the platform. Now some people will radically change their life circumstances because of God's leading in their life. You know, Moses was called out of where he was to go and do something else. He was called and invited into something. But not all of us are called to immediately go somewhere in the sentness. Um, we are already positioned somewhere. And many times I think you see in the Gospels where Jesus actually, someone has a radical encounter with him and he tells them to go back to the place where they were, to go to your hometown, go to the place, go to your people, go back. You're already there, you're already sent. Um, yes, he calls us out, but often he sends us to where we are first. Um, Christian teaching gives instruction to those who are married, to those who are not to those who have children and those who do not, those who are rich, those who are poor, those who are young, those who are old, those who are free and those who are slaves. And it says, let the power of God be on display in your life. It doesn't matter what circumstances you are in, 
Every circumstance is an opportunity for God to be on display in your life. Your circumstances might be um, good right now. I mean, given our time in history um, and where we live in the world, things are pretty good. It seems a lot like heaven for many of us. In fact, that's why we have trouble imagining hell. But everything seems good for us, and though I'm certain that God can be demonstrated in our lives in those good times, it is often through struggle and pain, hurt and tragedy, and facing the difficulties in life where God is truly on display in our lives. Um, There are some astonishing statements in the New Testament especially during that time, uh, to Christians about how they could conduct themselves, how they could respond to life's circumstances. All at once, Christians are weeping with those who mourn and celebrating with those who celebrate. I'm a fairly even-keeled person, and my wife will tell you that my kids have increased my capacity for emotions on both ends of the spectrum. (laughs) Maybe you've experienced that. My highs are higher, my lows are lower, It's the same for the Christian. Look at Jesus' life. He's full of joy and then weeping all in almost one moment. He's giving a tender talk to one person and then a harsh warning the next. The Christian life is incredibly dynamic. Uh, In 1 Peter, 1 Peter is a letter written to a group of believers who are experiencing intense persecution for their faith. Peter writes to them and he speaks the gospel into the everyday stuff of their lives. Peter fills them up with gospel truth in chapter one uh, and then he says this in 1 Peter chapter two, 12 and verse 17 and hopefully that'll pop up behind me here. Live such good lives among the pagans. Pagans just kind of generally means people with other kinds of beliefs. Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. He goes on in the next chapter, in uh, chapter 3, verse 13 to 17. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you, your good behavior in Christ, may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Even later, uh, Peter talking about um, when they live these lives, people will respond very differently. Um, in chapter four, verses four, um, they are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Now, when you live your life in light 
of the gospel, you will stand out, but it can lead to a variety of outcomes. And when you do preach Jesus, it will likely bring insult and abuse. But Christians shouldn't be surprised by this. After all, we are the ones who follow the suffering servant. Now, if you live your life according to God's principles in light of the gospel, but you don't tell people it's because of Jesus, you put them under a crushing weight. If they think that you have it all together, all on your own, they will hate you for it. So we have to stop just being moral people in society and let them know our secret. that We have the power of the living God inside of us because of Jesus Christ. See, you're not just responsible. You're not an upright kind of person. You're not just smart enough. You didn't just make the right kinds of decisions. You have to give credit where credit is due. Point to Jesus. See, even the language in the Bible about us choosing him, us making that decision, and him choosing us, seems a bit confusing, contradictory almost at times, which is another sermon for another time. But the longer you are a Christian, the more you wonder at how God in his grace and mercy took hold of you, and the less you think about how it was you who chose him. Give him all the credit. Whose mind are you using? The one he gave you. Whose body, whose experience, whose time in history, right? He set you in your place. Give credit where credit is due. Um, again, and if you first give him credit where credit is due, uh, if there's any change left over for you, again, on this theological bait, uh, let's worry about that f- after we do that first part. So we are on display. We must also declare. What does that look like for an antisocial introvert? Uh, as much as I would like to hide from the crowds uh, of people uh, and many social situations, I live here on the planet with the rest of you and can't get away. Um, okay, I'm not, I'm not actually that reclusive. I love you all. Uh, and I enjoy the beauty of all God's creation, even uh, the people. Um, <clears throat> I take full delight in the relationships that I have. Um, after all, one whole side of redemption is about our relationships to one another. Again, the two relationship breakdowns that occurred in the fall, God and men were separated, but even uh, humankind was separated, that our relationships became broken on every level. And part of redemption and part of our play, uh, place as Christians to play in the world is that reconciliation of actually bringing people together. I heard it said once this way, all of eternity is heading towards a city. Uh, that make, makes some of you uh, people who love the rural, a little bit nervous, but it's true. The Bible starts in a garden and it ends in a city. It's about bringing people together, closer, stacked on top of each other. Have you heard the description of what heaven's gonna be like? Um, anyways, how am I on display? So generally, how am I and, and how are you on display? I'm on display every time I come and go from my house. They see me with my family, they notice if I'm happy or grumpy, 
They can get to know what I value, by, even just by catching me for a moment, uh, just by seeing a glimpse of me. People notice, they can see I'm on display. When I'm driving, I'm on display. All you people out there, I can see you too. I know that you're looking at your phone. You're not fooling anyone. I'm serious, I can see you when you're looking at your phone. You don't think that anyone notices you doing this, but we all see you. Um, I'm on display when I'm driving, I'm on display when I go to the grocery store, people notice what I'm buying, how I treat the people in line with me, the cashier, or the computer where I check myself out. Um, I'm on display when I drop off my kids at school. There's lots of ways that we are on display where people see us uh, in the world, uh, world. But more specifically, um, again, despite kind of my, my inner nature and liking to have a little bit of space, my wife and I have decided to live our lives on display, to live in a glass house. On many occasions, we've welcomed uh, into people into our home to talk about marriage, sometimes formally, sometimes informally. We share our story, how we fell in love, the challenges that we've had to face as a couple, and answered openly any questions that came our way. We believe God is at the center of our marriage and want him to be on display there. Beyond that, I've had coffee or breakfast with total strangers because of a friend of a friend and perhaps a marriage in crisis. I share my experience and I highlight the difference Jesus made for me. My parents passed away a few years ago and I've had hundreds of conversations with people about mourning and about death. And I've had the chance to point people to Jesus, to encourage others who have lost someone close to them, other children who have lost their parents, parents who have lost their children. I've had the chance over the years to work with a lot of youth bands. Uh, in the process, you get to teach them a lot about music, but really a lot about life. And in that environment, I'm on display. I spend time with those people. They get to see me. I heard about a man who was a volunteer. He had a very rough past, but he told the youth pastor to use him as a really great bad example. God was even redeeming his past because he was sharing it with high school students. He was sharing every wrong decision, every mistake, in hopes that they'd be able to learn from them. But more than that, to see how God redeems. How are you on display? I'm not exactly sure what your circumstances are. I'm not sure how you're on display, other than when I see you in your car looking at your phone. You know, you might not know how you're on display. Uh, I recently heard, again, someone made a comment about somebody's marriage. The two of you together seem so good. What is that all about? Again, there was an opportunity where they were on display. And we have to take these opportunities and, again, begin to point them to Jesus and say why it is that our lives are different and unique as Christians. So it might be something totally unexpected and mundane, what you purchase and what you don't. It might be through um, facing the loss of your job or getting a new job. It might be through tragedy. I'm not sure what it might be. But I love this verse from 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. But we have this treasure and jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Remember that your life, whatever the circumstances you are in right now, joyful or painful, 
could be an incredible opportunity for God to reveal his all-surpassing power. Our lives are his platform. So embrace life in a glass house and display the glory of God. But we can't forget this part. The next point, preach. It's from God and not from us. So don't leave that part out. How can they hear without someone preaching to them? In 1 Peter 3, we read, uh, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, uh, asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have and doing this with gentleness and respect. The reason for the hope that you have. Do you know how far-reaching hope is? Sometimes we just think this is talking about avoiding the bad place you know, in eternity and ending up in the good place when we die. But we've been learning that the gospel truth, gospel truth is far-reaching into every aspect of our lives. The gospel can change how you work, knowing that he is the better boss. It can change how you vote, knowing he is the better ruler. It can change how you save your money or spend your money. It can change your marriage, your parenting. It can make you patient, waiting for an appointment. It can give you courage facing a disease. Uh, it's cold out, not too cold, but it's cold out, right? Winter is here and we have to admit it. So we have to just settle in for the next 14 months in Canada and uh, wait for summer. Now, on occasion, I go out into the freezing cold weather without a jacket, wearing not even a sweater, maybe not even shoes. I head out into the freezing temperatures, temperatures that really could kill a person, and I'm able to do it because I'm only out there for a second to pick up a parcel on my front door step. I know that I'm only in the cold for a moment and that soon I'll be back inside where it's warm. And I remember that, again, I get to experience the warmth of eternity because Jesus was cast out into the cold for me. Even though I experience cold, I will not always experience cold. That's a reason for the hope that I have. You see how far-reaching that can be? Picking up a parcel on my front porch, and the gospel can rush <laughs> to the surface. We have these moments, and we need to learn how to let the gospel surface in those things. I often think about that. When it's terribly bitter cold and you're outside, I always think again, soon I'm gonna be into my car. Soon I'm gonna be into my house. I'm in the cold now. Uh, and I think of Jesus and how he was cast out. Um, let's talk about why it's so hard to preach. Uh, first, we are in a spiritual battle. The enemy does not want us to preach. He will use every tactic he has against you sharing the gospel. Perhaps many of us live like the devil is just a myth. But remember that much, of we know, much that we know about the devil and Satan, we learn from Jesus' teaching. You can't put your faith in him and not pay attention to his words of warning. The devil has an active plan against you. Are you prepared for it? Some of you aren't. So again, register for set free. 
one of the key components there again is looking at his strategies against us and how we can overcome them. So that's number one, we're in a spiritual battle. Many of us love what we think about us, or many of us love what people think about us more than we love people. So in our fear of rejection, we stay silent. What will those same people think when we are all present on Judgment Day and they look at you and realize that you've known this whole time and said nothing because of fear? Number three, most Christians have never tried to share their gospel hope and therefore they've never experienced the Spirit of God giving them words and boldness I had a friend uh, in Ontario who was studying to be a pilot and he was going through all these classes and doing lots of math to figure that all out. And uh, again, he was astonished at flight because the engine that pulls the plane forward is not that powerful. Only when lift begins to happen because of the wings does it actually have enough power to kind of carry the plane through the sky. It's amazing and wonderful and terrifying. Um, but unless you actually get that engine going and pulling the thing forward, the wings can't or don't do anything. But when it starts to move, then suddenly there's lift that happens. Suddenly something the plane could not do without the wings, it suddenly can go flying off into the sky. I was thinking about this when it comes to the Holy Spirit and sharing our faith. If we never ever start that engine, we won't feel the lift that happens because of the Holy Spirit. And if we are bold enough to just get that engine going and just starting to inch down the runway, suddenly the Holy Spirit will be there in a powerful way and give you that lift. The scripture promises it. Many Christians simply don't know the gospel well enough. So that's part of the reason why we're doing this series. They aren't fluent with it. They can't connect how gospel themes relate to their life situations or the situations of others. Now, we've heard many examples of how the gospel is good news. Um, Steve, as he's been preaching through this um, series, has shared a number of his personal stories about how that works. But maybe you need to dig into that a little bit deeper yourself, maybe through your life group, or maybe you need to take somebody for coffee and talk about that, your stories, and seeing how that relates. Number five, many Christians don't really believe that their friends, neighbors, and family members will, be, will spend eternity in hell apart from the salvation that comes to us through Jesus. Uh, I said earlier that people who live apart, live in a part of the world that seems like heaven have trouble having perspective on hell. It's so far from our minds, it's only when a type of hell comes to us through tragedy or uncertainty, pain and loss, that we start to get perspective on it. We need to see the hell that people are in without God. And then in gentleness, and respect, declare that Jesus invites us all to join him in his kingdom of heaven. We are called to live lives that demand gospel explanations, and when we have the opportunities to give people Jesus as the answer for our hope, we can show him how Jesus is the better, that we can trust in him. So we can pray and we can display, we can declare, but we have to remember that we can't save, that's God's job. So. The third major point here is about hearing. 
When you live your life on display and give Jesus as the answer for the challenges we face in life, remember that people still have to hear. There's a phrase used by Jesus throughout the Gospels that is hard to understand at first. He said, says, let those who have ears, let them hear. Everybody, for the most part, unless you have some kind of physical deformation or something like that, should have ears. Everybody there had ears. So what is he talking about? It's not just about physical healing, hearing, sorry, but about taking the words in, understanding them, and living in light of them. Not everyone who you preach to will hear like that. Many will edit what you're saying. They'll try to pull out the supernatural or the faith elements. They'll say there's some principles there, but I have to cut out these, 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 and these in order to really accept what you're saying. They won't take it in. And I was thinking about the parable of the sower. In Mark 4, uh, verse 3 to 8, Jesus is teaching and he says, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. And uh, they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. It seems strange to me. It seems like the, the sower kind of doesn't know what he's doing. He seems a bit reckless. Certainly he would know what good soil looks like and put all of his seed there, but he doesn't. He scatters it everywhere. We also need to be such foolish sowers. We are to be on display and to preach to everyone, even if it seems like rocky soil or a hard-packed path, and even if we can see the enemy spreading his weeds. As we wrap up, I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back. I have a few other comments to make. Again, Romans 10, verses 14 and 15, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So we need to consider our lives as display people. Um, I liked how this was said uh, in, the, um, in the handbook. Lives full of grace and love. Uh, is, when people look at your life, is that what they would see? Schedules rearranged to make space to listen and to serve. Budgets adjusted to feed and care for people. Or words spoken to protect and build up. As we declare, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Be ready. Maybe write it down. Practice it with friends and family. Perhaps preach out of something as simple as picking up a parcel in winter off of your front porch and give credit where credit is due. The final thing I'll say, how beautiful. Perhaps it is a terrifying thought to think of standing before all the people you didn't tell about Jesus in your life on judgment day, knowing they will now spend eternity apart from God. 
Fear is a strong motivator, but not, maybe not the best motivator. Now imagine, you can close your eyes even if you want to, now imagine a group of people standing before you, offering their heartfelt thanks, smiles on their faces full of joy, knowing that they have an eternity in the riches of God because you lived your life on display and declared to them that Jesus was the lamb who was slain, the savior of the world, and the Lord of heaven and earth. They will say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Let me pray for you.